This morning, we're going to a funeral. And some of you are going, oops, we're in the wrong place. The funeral is actually a funeral that Jesus attended. And we're going we're gonna to check this out. Because it was a funeral of a dear, dear friend of his and a very godly man who had a lot of influence. His name was Lazarus. And here's the thing, and this is a spoiler alert. Jesus ruined a perfectly good funeral. And we're going to discover exactly what he did this morning. And so here's what I'd like you to do, if you would. Uh, open your Bibles to John chapter 11. If you don't have those or you can't quite find it, it's, it's in the New Testament. If you start right at the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you'll hit it. If you find anything else other than those books, go backwards if you're in the New Testament. Um, we're going to look at verse at uh, chapter 11 of John's gospel. And as we do that this morning, what I want to ask you to do is just kind of follow along because we're just going to walk through this story at verse 1 and we'll get as far as we can possibly go uh, or at least till we get to the end. John chapter 11, we're going to start reading with verse 1. If you don't have your Bibles, the words will be on the screen for you. And it begins this way. Now a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, that is to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it said, but when Jesus heard it was, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified. Then verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, that doesn't make any sense just to start off with, right? All right, he hears that a dear friend of his is sick. Uh, it's, it's, it's serious enough. That his sisters send word to Jesus. Now remember, there is no text messaging. There is no Instagram. There is no email. If word was going to get to Jesus, they couldn't pick up their cell phones and call him. They had to get it there on foot. And so perhaps a day's travel just to get the message to Jesus. And then a day's travel for Jesus to get back. And it says Jesus lingered two days. But it's kind of weird because it said, now, Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. But so, when he heard he was ill, he delayed two more days. You would think if he actually loved them, then he would have skedaddled to Bethany. He'd have gotten there as quickly as he possibly could in order to be with the family. And so here's the situation. Jesus intentionally chose, because he loved them, he intentionally chose to linger two more days. So let's, let's continue to read and see what's going on here. Verse 7, then after he said to his disciples, then after this he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. Judea is the region, it's the southern region. Jerusalem, of course, is the capital. And uh, Bethany's a couple of miles maybe away from there uh, but they had about a day's travel to get there so let's go to Judea the disciples said to him rabbi which which means teacher rabbi the Jews 
We're just now seeking to stone you. This was back in chapter 10. Just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Now, this gives you a little bit of insight to, our, to these disciples. They're, they're not stupid. They heard the, just last chapter, Jesus was in Jerusalem. And they were going to stone him. And now Jesus turned to his disciples after a little bit of a delay, because there's kind of two stories going on here. After a little bit of a delay, he turns to his disciples and says, okay, let's go to Judea. And they go, that's not really a good plan. Because don't you remember, they they were just trying to kill you. And you want to turn around and you want to go back. Our plan, Jesus, would be just, let's just lay low a little bit right here. Let's just hang around here and, um, and not go. Let's just, let's just chill here. So he goes on in verse 9. Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours in the day? That doesn't really seem like an answer, does it? Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because light is not in him. And, and you're thinking, okay, Jesus, what are you doing? Like writing a fortune cookie? What, what, what kind of cryptic wisdom is this? What kind of answer is this? This doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But Jesus, actually, it did make a lot of sense because in, in the ninth chapter of John's gospel, Jesus said these words in verses 4 and 5. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. So here, here's the deal. Twelve hours in a day. Twelve hours would be the working time, the time where the sun was shining, and that was the time you could get work done. You couldn't get work done after dark. Remember, they don't have the benefit of all the external artificial lighting that we have and so when it got dark you basically went home and went to bed there was nothing else you could do while it was light you worked what's the old expression make hay while the sun shines okay that you if you're gonna work if you're gonna get something done you got 12 hours to do it and then in chapter 9 what we see here is Jesus saying listen I'm here as the light of the world and as long as and while I'm here while the light is shining there's something I'm here to do i have a mission i have a calling and that's exactly what jesus was talking about we're going to go back to judea we're going to go back to the place where i know what's i know what's happening there i know what's going on i know what they want to do to me but we're going to go back there because this is my mission this is why i came and therefore i'm going to accomplish it in the time that my father has given me to accomplish this so in verse 11 he says after saying these things he said to them Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Now, it's easy for us on this side to be critical of the disciples. We knew, we know the story. They didn't know the story. Jesus said, hey, Lazarus is asleep, and I'm going to wake him up. 
And they're thinking, well, hang on, it's dangerous there. Why are we in a hurry to get there? Besides, if he is just asleep, he's going to be all right. That's not a problem. So we don't need to rush to get back to go. He'll wake up on his own. He'll be just fine. But falling asleep was just another way of Jesus telling them again what he told them just a few verses before. He said that Lazarus' illness would not end in death. He didn't say Lazarus wouldn't die. He just said it's not going to end in death. For Jesus, listen, the prospect of raising somebody from the dead is no more difficult than waking up a sleeping friend. And honestly, it's way easier than waking up a sleeping teenager. So this was not going to be a problem for Jesus. Asleep or dead, it didn't really matter to Jesus. He was able to do it either way. So then in verse 14, it says, Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And so Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now you remember Thomas, right? Thomas was the, the doubting disciple, the one who wasn't there when Jesus showed up after the resurrection and said, Hey, I can't believe it unless I can touch him, unless I can put my fingers in his wounds. I'm, I'm not going to believe this thing. Thomas, when I think of Thomas, any of you familiar with, with Winnie the Pooh? There's this donkey character named Eeyore. And this is my picture of what, what Thomas was like. He was not the life of the party. He was a guy that, if, oh, you left Thomas off our, our guest list. Well, if I have to put him on there, I'll put him on there. He was not the cheeriest of fellows and here's a situation where he's going well <laughs> all right if we're going back let, well let's just go die with him you know it's it's bound to happen so we might as well get it over with so so here's here we are jesus is clearing up the issue he said lazarus is dead he's not just asleep but i'm still going in order to wake him and uh here's here's the deal this is what maybe we don't realize about jesus because we, we've got these Sunday school pictures of Jesus in our mind, and we don't realize just how much of a threat Jesus was to the status quo of Jewish religion. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, this group of religious leaders, they had all this stuff worked out. It was a delicate balance between the Roman government and, and their religious observations, but, but they, listen, they had it managed The last thing they needed was a wild card. The last thing they needed was for somebody to come in and upset the apple cart and to to mess with this delicate balance that they had going on here. And Jesus was precisely that. Because Jesus not only came, not only came to teach, he not only came to preach, Jesus came, as we have discovered, he came as the light of the world. He came as the bread of life. And what we're going to see here this morning is, well, why don't we wait till we get there? In verse 17, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. 
And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. A couple aspects here. Um, Like I said, Lazarus must have died shortly after word was sent to Jesus. And so even if Jesus had immediately heard and left and come back, Lazarus would have still been dead. But there's a tradition that basically says you really know if somebody's dead if they stay dead for three days. Okay, if they, if they don't get up, then we really know they're dead. Because remember, medical science is not what it is today. And even now, we may hear of someone who wakes up on that cold steel table at the mortuary that, that they still wake up. And so they always wanted to make sure that this person was dead. So, hey, if, if you were dead for three days, then we'll sign the death certificate. You're gone. Okay, so he, he made it four days. So that's one of the things. Another thing to note is that the funeral service for a prestigious Jewish man would have lasted for seven days. A seven-day-long funeral where people are coming to see the family um, because Lazarus was well known, it, where people from Jerusalem were coming, not just people there in Bethany, people in Jerusalem were coming, and they'd be coming all the time, and family would be staying there with them. It was a big, big deal. There was a crowd that would be gathered, and Jesus shows up about midway through that seven day period. He shows up on the fourth day. So, just after that seven day period, or just, uh, just past the midpoint of that seven day period. So, there would have been a lot of people there. But it'll have been a big, big deal. And we'll find out something else about being dead four days here shortly. So when Martha, verse 20, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Now, some of you may remember Martha and Mary in a story where Jesus came to teach, and Mary sat at Jesus' feet, and Martha was where? She was in the kitchen. She was doing all the work. This tells us a little bit something about these two characters. They were much, much different. They were different in their lives. They were different in their grieving. Martha could not simply sit around. When she heard Jesus was there, she didn't wait for him to come and knock on the door. She was the go-getter. She went out. She went to where he was, and she met him on the way. So this is just just the kind of person that, that Martha is. She went out there. She greeted him. Mary remained back at the house uh, much more quiet much more, you know, in, in her grief. It was just expressed a lot differently. And I've seen this. When my dad died, uh, his brothers came, and his brothers are, are just like Martha. They had to do something. The next thing I know, now listen, my dad is, is in his last hours of life. He's in, in the bed. He's laid out. Family are all around. And, and, and his brothers have come. And the next thing I know, a load of gravel was dumped in our driveway, and they got out there with rakes and shovels and began to spread it all over the driveway. Why? Because they couldn't just sit in the house. They had to be doing something, and Martha's kind of like that. So she goes out to Jesus to meet him where he was. And in verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Now, I'm not sure if, if, if this wasn't a jab at Jesus. If you'd have just showed up a little bit earlier, then maybe this wouldn't have happened. But even now, she says, even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And so she's also expressing 
some measure of faith in Jesus. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, now Martha believed in a resurrection. Martha believed that her brother would rise again. But for her, it was something that was one day. It was something that was far off. She wasn't thinking anything in the immediate. And this brings us to the next I am statement that we're going to see. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. So Martha was hopeful for a future resurrection for her brother, but it was one day. It was in the future. But Jesus came to say something else to her. In the midst of her grief, in the midst of the sorrow that surrounded that environment, he came to say something powerful. What he came to say was, hey, listen, Martha, you believe that the resurrection is coming. I'm here to tell you that the resurrection is here because I am here. And this is going to change everything in the way that Jesus' disciples begin to understand who he was. Now, listen, he had already raised a couple of people up, okay? They've been dead a short period of time. He had already raised them up. But he was about to do something that had not been done before that was completely out of the realm of possibility. They never even thought anything like this could happen. A resurrection to come, yes, a resurrection now, that is off the table. So what does Jesus mean by I am the resurrection and the life? He's not just repeating, you know, he's not using resurrection and life to mean the exact same thing. Jesus is a resurrection in that anyone who dies having their place their faith in him, will experience resurrection. That is a new life. So I'm the resurrection. When you die, if you believe in me, then I will raise you up. But when Jesus says, I am the life, he's saying that those who trust in me are already spiritually reborn and have a life that will never end. In other words, one day, your body is probably going to wear out, give out, there'll be an accident, something's going to happen when your heart's going to stop beating, your brain waves are going to start going, and you are going to be laid out. You are going to be dead. That is just a, that's a fact of human life in this fallen world in which we live. But for those of us who have received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we've not earned it, we've received it by grace. For those of us who are in Christ, Even though our body dies, we will never die. He who lives and believes in me will never die. And that means when I check out here, I check check in at the Heaven Holiday Inn. Okay, I'm just just changing locations. I'm going to be, I will be absent from the body, but I will be present with the Lord. And so Jesus is the resurrection in that one day, you know what? This body that's left behind, do you know what's going to happen to that body? 
Well, I don't know. I do know this. Decay takes place. I may be nothing but bones. I may be nothing but ashes. I have no earthly idea. But the Bible says that there's coming a day when whatever is left of me, whatever DNA is is still around, that God's going to take that and make a brand new body out of it. That's pretty cool. And so Jesus, there's going to be a bodily resurrection, but we now have a spiritual life in him. So this is pretty good stuff he's sharing with them, stuff that, quite honestly, they're not going to understand for a good, good while. And then he asks Martha this question. Do you believe this? I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? And she says some pretty good sounding stuff she says yes i believe you're the you're the messiah you're the christ you're the you're the son of god i believe that but that's not what he asked her he asked her do you believe i'm the resurrection and the life the vast majority of you sitting here this morning you have some level of belief in jesus Otherwise, you probably wouldn't be here. You may have picked up bits and pieces about Jesus from Sunday school or vacation Bible school as a kid. You may have heard about him from family or friends. Or maybe you've seen something about him on television. You may have sat through a, through a few sermons, whether you liked it or not, and, and you heard Jesus mentioned. And you may believe kind of what Martha believed. You may believe that Jesus existed, that he was... He was good. He taught good things. That He came from God. You may believe all of that stuff, and you may have all those facts circulating in your brain. But do you trust him as your only hope of salvation? I've talked to a number of people who go, you know, I, I, I kind of believe in this Jesus person. I believe in God, and, and, and I hope that he'll let me in one day. I hope that I'll go to heaven when I die. And then you start asking them, well, how do you think that works? How do you think a person gets to heaven? And it, it almost immediately goes back to, well, I'm basically a good person. I want you to listen very carefully. I love all of you. I know many of you. And there's a lot of goodness in you. But apart from Christ, you ain't a good person. And I'm not trying to insult anybody. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just trying to tell you what the Bible says. There is only one who is good. And none of us measure up to that standard. None. And that one who's good is not me. I'm saved by grace. That is God's gift through faith. And it is not anything that I've done for myself. It is truly a gift from God. And it's not by my works. It's not by my goodness. There will never be a day when I can stand before God and say, God, ain't you proud of me? Look what I have done. Because all that I have done is made my life such a mess that I needed a Savior. And that's the same boat all of us are in. Now, Martha didn't fully get it, and I don't fully blame her because they haven't seen Jesus raised yet. They haven't seen Jesus ascended into heaven yet. They haven't seen that. They haven't even seen their brother raised yet. Right now, he's still in the tomb. 
But what I want you to know this morning is what you believe about Jesus, it matters. It matters more than anything else in the whole world. And if you're here this morning and, and you don't have, you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, you're not confident of your salvation in him, then at the end of this message, it'll be over in a few minutes, at the end of this message, we're going to sing one last song before we go home. And if you need to know this, Jesus, then when we're singing that song, and I know it's kind of tough for some folks, but would you just kind of step out right into one of these little rows here and come to the front? And I've got people that would love to share with you what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And if you came with somebody today and you're scared to do it yourself, would you just turn to them and say, hey, would you go down with me? I'm a little scared to go down myself. Would you come with me? And, and let's, I, I, I need to talk to him about what it means to follow Jesus. Well, I'm going to fast forward a little bit because um, Martha sends for Mary. Mary comes down and, uh, well, Mary comes to meet him. She comes out of the house. She has the same question. She says, oh, if you'd have been here, <laughs> then my brother wouldn't have died. So they're starting off in the same place. It's the same grief. And anyone who's lost someone you love, you know how painful that grief is. But then if you'll, if you'll look down with me in verse 32, it says, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell at his feet and she said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews he had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he says, Where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. And so the Jews said, Oh, see how, it, see how he loved them. But some of them said, could he not have opened the eyes of the blind man? Could he who not opened the eyes of the blind man also not have kept this man from dying? Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but there's something I want you to see. I told you part of the Jew Jewish funeral process was about a seven-day funeral. People came from all around, and they were there with the family, comforting them and grieving with them. And it says that Mary was weeping. Now, I know that many of you don't read Koine Greek. You wouldn't know what it was if you saw it, but I want to tell you something about this word for weeping here. This word for weeping means wailing. You get a glimpse of this occasionally when you see funerals in the Middle East where they're parading the body down the street, and people are these these moans of agony, this screaming, this wailing from them. You can hear it, and it, it's just a piteous kind of thing. The family was doing that. That indicates that this is the kind of crying that Mary was doing. It's not a cry, you know, silent tears fall, and this is, this is an overwhelming grief that expresses itself in wailing. But just to make sure during that seven-day period that people were mourning properly and that nobody forgot and told a joke, they would hire professional mourners who would come and they would cry all day and night. They'd be wailing all the time. Okay, tag team, next shift, come on in, you cry. And this just made sure that people understood how bad it was when somebody died. And so this is what Jesus is walking into Mary's coming out there. These people are following her. They're having this terrible wailing and weeping. And it's, it's just an awful scene. And it says here that Jesus, 
was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And then in a few verses it says, Jesus wept, which is the verse you memorized to get the prize in vacation Bible school. You don't tell me you didn't because I did. Okay. Shortest verse in the Bible. Now, what it looks like is Jesus is joining them in their grief. And I would like to argue with that proposition. As a matter of fact, the people even said, oh, look how much Jesus loved him. He's crying. Look how troubled he is. But the words are a little bit different in the Greek, and that helps us to understand exactly what was taking place. Because Jesus, he wasn't just upset. He was angry. He was mad. He was agitated. And then when it says that Jesus wept, he wasn't joining them in wailing. This is just a matter of tears coming down his eyes. So why was he crying and why was he mad? There have been some that say he cried to identify with the people. There have been some to say he was angry because death was not what God planned for humanity and therefore it was against God's perfect plan. But I want to let you know that my understanding of everything, that if you read all of 11, this is what you come to understand. He was angry at the spiritual blindness of everybody who was there. Think about this. They are weeping. They are having all this wailing. They are having all this mourning and all this grief. And what has happened? The resurrection and the life has come there and has identified himself as the resurrection and the life. And they were so blind they didn't see it. His disciples were so blind they didn't see it. All he could do was become agitated on the inside and weep over their lostness. Now, why do I think this? Because there are only two other times that Jesus weeps. Only two other times that Jesus weeps. Both in Luke's gospel and both he's weeping over the spiritual blindness and lostness of his fellow Jews. That's the only time we find Jesus crying. Because that is the only true enemy to humanity is our lostness. And so Jesus comes into a place and they can't even see it. It's like the sun has risen and you have your eyes closed. You don't even know it's bright outside. You've got the blinds pulled. You're just still in the darkness. And here he is, the light of life come into town and they can't even recognize it. And so Jesus, you know how the story goes. Verse 29, Jesus says, take away the stone. And then Martha, of course Martha's going to speak up. See, either Martha or Peter, one of them's got to say something. Martha says, whoa, wait a minute. She says, she says uh, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. Your translators tried to make that a little more palatable for you. Some of the translators go ahead and use the word stench. The King James, some of you know this because you've read it. He stinketh. By now, he stinketh. Listen, what happens after four days? There is no embalming, right? After four days, you, if you've ever been by a carcass on the road that's been there for four days, you kind of get the idea of what's taking place. Jesus, I'm not so sure you want to move that stone because now it's going to be a terrible odor. It's bad enough for us now. 
But if you pull that back, the reminder of death is going to be right in our nostrils. And, and that's a little more than any of us can take. But Jesus said, did I not tell you if you believed, you'd see the glory of God? And so in verse 14, 41, excuse me, they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of these people standing here around that they may believe you sent me. In other words, all these people around here are blind and they're spiritually deaf. And I'm saying this so that maybe they'll believe. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And here's what Jesus intended all along. Before they ever showed up and said, hey, your friend Lazarus is sick, you need to come. Jesus knew precisely what he was going to do. All of that was calculated in order to try to open the eyes of the blind, to open the ears of the deaf by bringing someone dead back to life. And remember, what did we say? It took three days to say he's dead, dead, dead. On the fourth day, he's not only dead, but he also smells. Okay, so this is, this is death. And Jesus steps into death. And he brings life. Lazarus came out. What a wonderful story. Isn't that a great story? But it's not a fairy tale. It is anchored in reality because it is God's truth for us. Because Jesus is a resurrection and the life. He had the power to speak to a dead smelling Lazarus. And bring him back to life. There is no indication there was any smell of death about him anymore. And grave clothes don't belong on a living man. This very same Jesus, though, just about one year later, would himself be cruelly crucified, buried in a borrowed tomb, but on the third day would rise again. Here's the deal. There was no one standing outside his tomb saying, Jesus, come out. Why? We have already told you. I am the resurrection and the life. And there's going to be a day for each of us who are in Christ. When our bodies buried in the ground, ashes in an urn, no matter what it is. That Jesus is going to come and he's going to go. Jimmy, come on down. And somehow, through the miraculous work of an all-powerful God, he's going to put together a perfect body that's going to be like the resurrected body of Jesus. And that body and spirit are going to be united. And I will be with the Lord forever. And I hope that's your story. We sang this morning. This, this, is, this is my story. This is what I believe. This is, I'm sticking to this. This is my song. Is it your story? Is it your song? John hinted at this all the way back in chapter 1 of his gospel when he said, in him was life. And then in 1 John chapter 5, a letter that he wrote later, John would say, God gave us eternal life 
And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. And so let me ask this question very seriously and very soberly to all of you here this morning. Do you have the Son? Do you have life? Because if you don't have the Son, you don't have life. But things could change, and this could be the day that you have both the Son and the life because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. If you need to talk with someone about that, if you're ready today to receive Christ in just a few moments as we sing this song, just come on. Just don't wait till the end of the song. Come on. We would love to talk with you about what it means to follow Christ. If you need a church home, a place to belong, and you believe God's leading you here, then come. We'd love to have you. If you simply want to come and pray, God's opened your eyes some things to some things in your life that you need to deal with today, then we invite you to come and simply pray. Whatever it is that you need to do, then we ask that you just listen to the Holy Spirit and answer when he calls. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture. It's, it's lengthy, but what an incredible story about the power of Jesus, about our Savior, about the resurrection and the life. And Lord, we do have a hopeful expectancy of one day having these, these earthly bodies resurrected. But Lord, we have the confidence right now to know that in Christ, we already have life because we have Jesus. Lord, I pray for those struggling with that decision this morning, that if you're calling them, they will come. Whatever it is, Lord, that you're calling us to do, we want to be able to respond and say yes. And Lord, for those of us who do have life in Christ, would you give us the boldness to share that with others, to take the light into the darkness and shine the light of Christ. For this is our prayer in the name of the resurrection and the life, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.